Listen to 32 Thoughts ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I'll call you from 35,000 feet. Wait, I thought of something else. (laughs) I got a text. Hold on. Hold on. Welcome once again to a Frankenstein edition of 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. The way things work around these parts, Elliot, is we record majority of the podcast early and then wait around to see what happens and usually end up doing an insert. Welcome to today's podcast. That is what's happening. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs five-game road trip has concluded. Uh, one win against the Winnipeg Jets and then losses to Vegas, San Jose, Los Angeles. And then most spectacularly on Sunday night against the Anaheim Ducks, 4-3 to three in overtime. The Maple Leafs cough up a two-goal lead to the last place Anaheim Ducks and lose this one in the extra frame. And the face-off in the Anaheim zone. Strom gets help from Zegras. Two-on-one with Fowler if they hurry. Zegras fights off a defender. Scores! Oh, my! What would you like to begin with? I don't know how you could start anywhere else by just the overall strangeness and insanity of that third period. Are you kidding me? I'm in Dallas tonight, Jeff. I'm at the Stars Hall of Fame uh, induction event. Yeah. So Bob Ganey and Darian Hatcher did their speeches with some great introductions. Doug Armstrong introduced Bob Ganey, and then Richard Matvichuk introduced Darian Hatcher. Great speeches. And then after, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go take a peek and see what's happening in this Toronto game. And you know when you're watching something and you say, that's crazy. Nothing crazier can happen. Mm -hmm. And then something crazier happens. (laughs) And you're like, there's nothing that can top this. And then, of course, something even crazier happens. I was looking at my phone in disbelief for about 20 minutes straight at what was happening in this game. First of all, I really disagree with the fourth Anaheim goal being taken away. I'm actually concerned about this now because if you look at this week, there was the one where Evander Kane's goal was taken away in Chicago, and now this one. I don't like the precedent that's being set here. And an animated Sheldon Keith behind the Toronto bench during that timeout. As a long shot is blocked in front, the rebound scores in front of the net. The Ducks have taken the lead. The Leafs are going to argue goaltender interference as Sheldon got turned around. Vetrano puts the puck in the net. And Sheldon Keeve and the coaching staff quickly go to the tablets. We'll take another look. Well, there's Adam Henrique. He's in the goal crease at that point. And then he's out, but David Camp, it's actually the Toronto player that makes contact with Shelvrin. It goes in off the skate of Justin Hall right there. The defenseman trying to come to the far post there. Between the war room in Toronto and Chris Lee's going to make this Our decision. Is determined there is no goal in play due to goaltender. You know, earlier on, I remember, and we talked about this, the league kind of said, we only want to overturn if it's egregious. We don't want hope reviews. Well, I thought this was a hope review, and I don't blame Sheldon Keith for calling for it. It was desperation time in Toronto. I just don't think we're going to be able to have battling if that kind of goal is going to be disallowed. I just disagree with it. I don't like where the direction that sends us in. But then I think a lot of Toronto fans are in absolute shock 
They had a 3-1 lead on the road against a reeling Anaheim team. And we're lucky, Jeff, they even got a point out of it. You know, I was talking with one GM today, and he said every year it feels that the intensity and the pressure is crazier than the year before. He said there is no breathing room in this league now if you have a bad week. And tonight, Sheldon Keefe was asked 10 games into the season if he's worried about losing his job. Speaking of the white noise, let me add to it. Do you worry that your job might be on the line if you can't turn this thing around? I'm just going to focus on what I can do here. i got a job to do with the group. Our group has responded um, in the past. I thought we were responding well here today. Again, we look back to how we started last season. It was a pretty similar game in nature to this one that, you know, it's overtime and we get the win and it changes, changes things for us. Obviously, we don't have that feeling going home here now, but we certainly have lots of reason to continue to, to work and get better. We've got to get home and get rested, uh, get, get some, some healthy bodies in our lineup uh, here soon too. So those kind of things will give us a boost in of themselves. After the timeout, they continue to I mean, it is a tornado, an inferno, whatever you want to call it in Toronto right now. It just is. Uh, various names will trend this evening. Various names have already trended. This is members of the Maple Leafs, both the players and the, the manager. And although he hasn't trended yet, I'm sure Sheldon Keefe's name will be trending on Twitter at some point tonight. And listen, one of the flashpoint moments that people are gravitating towards is the Mitch Marner situation and the brief benching of Marner and, you know, grabbing the stick and going down the hallway, etc. You know, Marner afterwards said something to the effect of... You know, we started off a lot worse last year, and everyone tried to put, you know, shambles in our brains, so it's not going to happen with us. Um, you know, we're getting to go back home now. Um, it's time to regroup, um, rethink, and, you know, just make sure uh, we get some good practices in us here and um, make sure we're ready to go for the next one. Who's everyone? And say everyone tried to mess with your brain. What, what well, like everyone? outside noise. I mean, it's, it's big in Toronto especially, so for us, we're blocking that out. Um, you know, we know we got that conference in that room. We got the players in that room. It's, um, you know, just making sure we stick with our programming, um, stick with our um, systems, and stuff's going to start falling for us. Um, it hasn't here recently, but um, I think we just got to play a little simpler sometimes, get pucks more to the net, just be more direct with it. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we got a little too carried away and um, trying to look for too much of a pretty play. He's become a lightning rod for a lot of this. How do you see Marner right now? You know, I have to say that not all of my comments about Marner over the last couple of weeks have been well-received. I'll say this again. I have to say that it's not a criticism, Jeff. You know, there's some people that have real thick skin and they can handle a lot and it doesn't bother them. And there's some people that don't. And it's not a criticism. It just is the way it is. And I don't think any less of anybody who has trouble handling it. And Matthews, I think, really shields it well. Nylander, I don't know what bothers that guy. And Tavares, even though he's from Toronto like Marner is, he had some time away from it. You know, Marner has been around this his whole life. We've seen situations before where the stress gets high and it affects him. And I also suspect that some of the people around him don't make life easier on him with the things they tell him. Uh, in terms of what might be said about it. And this thing that happened in the game tonight, 
in any other job in the world, you can go and blow off steam. Like I remember, I'll tell you a story. PJ Stock and I, when we still worked at CBC, we had a huge blow up over something on the show. I remember I felt that PJ had cut me off when I was making an important point. And then what I wanted to say didn't get properly conveyed because I felt that PJ had cut me off. So I got mad and I stormed to my own dressing room. And 10 minutes later, he came over and we hammered it out. But nobody knew. I mean, the coworkers knew because I threw a hissy fit. But nobody else knew. We just hammered it out. And the thing is, is that this thing happens tonight and everybody can see it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, whatever happened there, and I don't know exactly what happened yet, so I'm not going to guess, it really affected him. And he came out and he talked about pressure and he can handle pressure and, and all these things. I just think that when the team is going like this and things aren't going well, I think he feels it or he shows he feels it more than anyone else on the team. And not for a second do I doubt how much he wants to win. And not for a second do I think he doesn't care. But there are some people I've met in life, when things go bad, they have real difficult time managing it. And I think right now he's in kind of that headspace again. And the biggest challenge about it, Jeff, is that, you know, the coach here clearly feels that he can't deliver the most honest criticism and they have to find a way to make it work because the coach needs the player to make this work. And then, you know, I'm not looking at social at the time, but my buddies are all texting me saying, oh my God, like, look at all the discourse out there. And of course, that's going to be what it is. Nobody should be surprised, but I don't know what the perfect fix is, Jeff. I, I really don't. And I think the team does try to manage it. And it's very clear that the organization tiptoes around them. But um, Anaheim deserved this win tonight. But I don't know if there's a guy who needed a goal more tonight than overtime than Marner did to put that one past Gibson, who made an absolutely unbelievable save. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu had the goal of the night, but John Gibson had the save of the night. Unbelievable. We should credit Zegers too, and the Ducks. Like the Ducks could have absolutely folded. A hundred percent. The other thing, I'm glad you mentioned that about Zegras. What a perfect shot. And he's got a Maple Leaf cape on his back and he still gets that shot off and it's perfect. I don't think that anybody thought for one second that he's sliding that thing over to Cam Fowler. I think everybody knows that he's shooting and he's got pressure and he's got a cape on and he still makes the perfect shot. It is a race up the ice. He had Fowler with him, but the Leafs were doing a good job on the back check. And why not? Trevor Zegers says, you know what? I'm going to take this one. And he rips it up top. And this shot is perfect. Absolutely perfect. That's just a hell of a play by Trevor Zegers. There's Zegers, and he's away to the races. And again, that skating style, legs spread wide. He, oh, he does a great job of protecting that puck. See him stick out the right leg. And as a result, Kerfoot can't get to the puck. And then he just shelts it. Perfect off the inside of the post. It was, it was an incredible play. And Anaheim, they, they earned it. It's probably a good thing 
that the docs won for the officials because, you know, we've talked about how Verbeek is Iserman light. Iserman is not always a fan of the officiating. And after a call like that one, he might not have reacted too well if he was down near the room. So I would bet that Verbeek, having been a Iserman disciple, Hmm. And, you know, he only has like 10,000 career penalty minutes. He, <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to see him down around that dressing room either. I think it's like 2,500, but your point is well made. Yes, <laughs> ab- absolutely. That's nothing to scoff at either, though, 2,500 penalty minutes. For the docs in that building tonight, it was, it was like the Super Bowl. Yeah. They needed that win in the worst way, and their fans celebrated like it was enormous. They needed that. Mm-hmm. Now, the Maple Leafs just sent out on their Twitter feed as we're, rec- as we're recording this that Monday will be a complete and total day off. I don't know that there is a team in the NHL that needs a day off right now more than they do. Okay, so the Maple Leafs now fly home. They'll face off against the Flyers. That's a tough out. That team works hard. They'll face off against the Boston Bruins. You can make the point they're one of, if not the best team in the NHL right now. Then they'll face off against the Carolina Hurricanes. There's some tough games on the horizon. Then you throw Vegas into the mix as well. There's about 3 million people in Toronto proper. In the greater Toronto area, there's just over 6 million. Which means there's 6 million general managers of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you think that this start, because all the 6 million general managers around this team are howling for some type of change. Everyone has a different idea of what it should be. Yeah. But is there enough right now, even though it is very early in the season, for the Maple Leafs to do something? I don't think they were as recently as like three days, as recently as two days ago, I don't think they were considering firing the coach. I don't. I haven't asked anyone tonight after this game. I, I'm not sure if it's changed after, you know, lot, back-to-back losses in Southern California. But I don't believe that's the road they were going down. I think they remember how they started last year. I thought I think they want this to breathe a bit. And I also think they recognize that the second coming of Scotty Bowman is not winning with this defense, especially the way it's constructed right now. They were in on Ethan Bear. They were not willing to put that draft pick in. And that's the reason Vancouver got them and Toronto didn't. Vancouver, in addition to the salary they were taking, and I had heard that Carolina wanted to move that Lane Peterson contract because he was making too much money in the AHL for their liking. Vancouver was willing to do that and throw back a pick. Toronto wasn't. And that's why the Canucks got them and the Maple Leafs didn't. You know, the Maple Leafs, if they trade a pick, they could be down to three this year because Arizona has the option on one of their picks. And that says to me that they recognize that there are some things they have to fix back there. With every loss, and this certainly was a disconcerting defeat, you wonder if their vision changes. But I really do believe that headed into the weekend, that wasn't something they really wanted to contemplate. But I think you've got another issue now you've got to sort out, and that is this whole thing with one of your best players and your coach. Like, we all know, you know, things got walked back after some comments made early. You know, you need Marner. And 
this has got to get fixed. All right, Elliot, Winnipeg Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights and Connor Hallibuck does it again, and the Jets squeak out a point in a game that if you're watching it, or even if you're just following online and you're looking at shot totals, you know, the Winnipeg Jets probably had no business being in. Connor Hallibuck, again, keeps Winnipeg Jets in this one, 46 saves. Jack Eichel is the overtime hero, circling the zone. Man, it was, it was really interesting watching Eichel watching Mark Shifley chasing and angling and pushing and keeping Eichel away from the net until it all became too overwhelming. And Eichel made that great play to the net and scored. Uh, those are two elite level players. That was, you know, part of the, the, the fun of overtime and this one watching, you know, the, these two guys go at it. Hellebuck is a huge story. So is Jack Eichel. So are the Vegas Golden Knights, Elliot. They are with a capital B back. Yeah, they look really good. You know, there, there have been some teams, like I've been watching the the Devils lately. They're, I have to say, Jeff, I didn't know what to expect from this team this year. I really did believe that Eichel was going to be a lot better this season, simply because all of the craziness of last year was over. And maybe that's one of my few takes that could be right. Hellebach, by the way, what a performance. I was sitting at dinner and someone said, check out, send me a note saying, check out the Jets uh, shots. And it was 33 to eight at one point. Like that's just, that's just crazy. Yeah. That's like some of my novice house league games when the other team had the best player that nobody could get the puck off of. The shots were like 33 to eight, but boy, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm really curious about Vegas. Now we're a month into the season. We start to look at team and you start to say, okay, is this for real? And I'm starting to think that Vegas is is for real. Well, the only reason they didn't make the playoffs last year, just to be blunt, was injuries. They just couldn't overcome the injury bug last season. And, you know, Eichel joining the team as, as late as he did. Right now, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights are 8-2 and two with a goal differential of plus 15 on a four-game heater right now. They look fantastic, Elliot. Like, that was not a two-to-one game. That was that was Connor Hellebuck saying this is not going to get this is not going to get crazy here, but that's like a what six to one game probably. Oh yeah, I tilted. You know, Jake, the other thing here about this Toronto situation is, assuming they were going to make a coaching change, is it obvious to you who the next person is? Uh, it's not obvious. I mean, I think we're all wondering Barry Trotz. The Mike Babcock situation, you know, we, we all suspected, you know, right away if they're going to make the change, it was going to be Sheldon Keefe coming up from the Marlies. Yes, that one was obvious. There doesn't seem to be that obvious replacement, other than you know the guy that you just mentioned a second ago, Barry Trotz. But that's because he's been the hot ticket ever since the Islanders let him go. And you may have heard he wants to coach an original sixteen. Did he mention that? Wow, how did I miss that? Yeah, <laughs> not exactly a secret. Yes. The thing is, though. Like, I think Barry Trotz wants to transition into being a general manager, too. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've heard about Trotz is, and I heard this all the way going back to last summer, and he hasn't gone out of his way to deny it, is he's looking at a plan that maybe starts with coaching and then goes into GM. Mm. And that's what a couple of teams told me. It's a little more complex than just a regular coaching hire. That's the thing to me is, if it's not Trotz, for argument's sake, 
if it's not and like i said going to this weekend i didn't think a coaching change was on toronto's radar i didn't but let's just say for argument's sake it is i'm not convinced it's that simple as barry trotz is our guy because i I'd be curious to hear what Trotz would say about how long does he want to coach mm-hmm. and does he want to be a manager? Okay, Elliot, it's one thing to talk about Barry Trotz. That's all sane and logical and many people have had that conversation. But what's the chaos play here? What would be the wild, wow, we didn't see that coming, holy smokes play here out of the Maple Leafs? You know, they're still paying Babcock till the end of this year, Jeff. Wow. You can't just leave that and then be silent. <laughs> well, I, I mean, look, like you asked me what the chaos play is. That is the true chaos play. You know my theory that he's going to coach again yep. uh, in the NHL. And, you know, he is no longer a Maple Leaf after this season. I mean, that that's the chaos play. Jeff, there's a lot of veteran coaches out there mm-hmm. who would like another shot. Guys like Travis Green to guys like Claude Julian to... And if Toronto and others, I mean, pick your name, Toronto could simply say, we want someone like that for the rest of the year. If they really wanted to do that, that was the other thing I was thinking. I was just trying to imagine Mm -hmm. if you're not going with the obvious guy, where are you going? If you do decide to do this, but you know what, Jeff, the, the guy whose opinion I really wonder about, like we're all sitting here wondering right now and we're saying, okay, what does Dubas think? And what does Shanahan think? The other guy whose opinion here I really wonder about is what does Jason Spezza think? Because Jason Spezza is going to be a player in this front office, I think, for years to come. And we know he takes it seriously. I just wonder how much they're leaning on him for his thinking about, because he knows the players. He has really good thoughts about the league. I really wonder if this could be a situation where Spetz's imprint begins to be made on this organization. The thing I wonder about there, and I don't disagree with you, the thing I wonder about there, though, is Spetz's opinion is one thing. How much do you think the opinion of the players, though, matters in this situation, considering it's the players that got this team into this situation? Jeff, ideally, you'd like to say to the players, look, you guys aren't playing well enough. Therefore, you don't deserve the right to make our decisions for us. But we know that's not the way the world works. Now, the thing the players have to worry about here as a group is Keith was brought in because they were unhappy with the previous guy. It's sort of like what we talked about with Vancouver on Saturday night, and we'll talk about later on in the podcast. It's that the Canucks as an organization said, look, this is two head coaches. If we're going down this route, we're also going down the route of changing the roster. I think you have to think the possibility of that could exist in Toronto too. The unique challenge here is they want to sign Matthews as soon as this summer. And I believe that it was headed in that direction. The only thing they have to worry about is if for any reason what's happening changes his mind. And I don't believe that that's the case necessarily, but that's what they have to worry about. He's in such a powerful position that they do have to consider what he thinks.
Uh, okay, we have a lot to get to today, and we're going to try to get to some emails as well. Uh, no, I'm not trying. We're going to get to some emails as well later on in the podcast. But I want to begin with the news. Craig Morgan breaking this one Sunday afternoon. Uh, Tempe City Council to vote on the new arena proposal, uh, November 29th. But we'll also refer the proposal to a referendum as well. Now, here's my question to you on this one. It's one thing for you know, people that are voting to have a thought on this one. Uh, one thing for the Arizona Coyotes and everyone in the organization to have a thought on this one. Uh, one thing for everyone listening to the podcast to have a thought on this one. But if you're the NHL, how do you greet this news? I think if you're worried about anything here, it's the timeline. As a human being, I don't have anything against referendums. Generally, I think it should be up to the people. Vote how you want and live with the results. That's the kind of world we're supposed to live in in North America. So I don't have a problem with the referendum at all. My father used to be a developer. So I learned pretty young about some of the ins and outs of city councils and things like that and and what you're dealing with there. And one of the things I learned is if it goes to a referendum over something like this, it's that the counselors themselves, they don't want to be the ones to decide it. Whether it's they don't really have a good handle on what the people feel or they feel one way and they're worried the people feel another way or that for one reason or another, if they don't vote the way the public wants, they're going to lose their jobs. They want this to be in the hands of the voters. This says to me they're not confident enough in their positions. <laughs> so profiles encourage is what yeah. you're discussing that, there, Elliot. <laughs> that, that generally is the way that I just remember from my father's teaching me about city councils. Yeah. That's the way it worked. Now, I think if you're the NHL here, the thing that makes you most nervous is, A, what do you think that the people are going to vote here? And I've read so much saying people hate it or people love it. I don't know. It's going to be up to the people of Arizona to decide this. But we're going to get an answer, which is good. But the second thing is they got to be worried about the timeline. You know, setting up a referendum takes time. I didn't see anything that said when this would take place. In 2023. That's yes. that's all that, that's written in 2023. I was told there'd be no math, Jeff, mm. but there are 12 months in 2023. Correct. How, are we talking about early 2023? Are we talking about spring 2023? Or are we talking about fall 2023? Mm-hmm. And if it's the latter, nobody's going to like that. I would suspect they'll try to do it as quickly as they can, but these things take time and... I think if there's anything that the league is not going to like about this, it's that it's just another bit of a punt. Okay, so we'll uh, continue to follow this story. That is the next chapter in this uh, in this ongoing saga. By the way, did you watch the opening game? Did you watch Arizona? I did, of course. What did you think? Okay, so first of all, I was saying this to Amal before we uh, started recording. I went into this trying to be as you know clean slate about it as possible, open mind. Yep. First of all, it kind of did feel like if I can use a wrestling analogy, it kind of felt like a WWE show in an ECW arena. Hmm. And I didn't mind that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. I just, like, I liked it because it was the first one and it was the novelty and it was intimate and everything was, like, honestly, everything seemed right up into your face. And I liked that. Again, I don't know how I'm going to feel after, you know, 30 games of this. I don't know. But the first one, I really enjoyed. I got to be honest. I really enjoyed it. 
I have to say it sounded as good as any hockey broadcast I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. You know, the intimate nature of it. Obviously, the sound doesn't go as far. It was To me, it was one of the best sounding hockey games I'd ever listened to. And I really liked that about it. Elliot, you know who else was really complimentary about Arizona, Mullet Arena, and specifically the ice? Pierre-Luc Dubois. Oh, yeah? He said it was good? Best ice in the league. Uh, that might be the best ice in the NHL. Wow. The boards are lively. Um, yeah, best. it could be the best ice in the NHL. So they did a really good job there. What I didn't like were the shadows. It's obviously not lit for primetime television, but you're just going to have to live with that. Hang on a sec. Can we pause on that? Yeah. I actually liked that. Oh, you, you did like the shadows? Really? But here's why. Like, here's one of the things that I, and maybe this like winks to like, to your point, like, okay, this is before they, the arenas were well lit. I think one of the things that I really miss, and you see this in old hockey photographs, I miss the shadow game of hockey. Like, do you not like look at old photos? Like one of the things that I always look at is what the shadows on the ice look like, because we don't have that anymore. Like that is gone now that we have proper lighting, (laughs) you know, these horrible things like well lit rinks. Um, so they look good on television. I like the shadow game. I really do. Like, honestly, free. that's one of the things that I found cool about it. Shadows on the ice. I loved it. Okay. I mean, I'll concede that. It was, maybe I just thought it was weird, uh, but I generally love the sound of it. I have to say that the, that was the thing I enjoyed the most about it. I got a hilarious phone call from a friend of mine who likes to gamble on Sunday. Shocking. He said to me, do you know where the teams are staying when they play the Coyotes? And I said, no. And if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. That's about as big as a faux pas as you can commit as a reporter is telling people where teams are staying. (laughs) And I said, said, why? Why do you want to know? And he said, because he understands there's a hotel on the campus of Arizona State. And he thinks if the teams are staying there. It's a huge home ice advantage for the Coyotes. Oh, my goodness. So I was kind of laughing at his brazenness of calling me and asking me this. Yeah. But there's no way I was giving the answer. Not that I knew, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um. Listen, I dug it. I thought it was cool to the point about the shadows. I do love what, I, as you know me, Elliot, I love old photographs of hockey. One of the things yeah. I dig about them is the shadows. I did love the sounds and I just thought it was cool. Like if you just take it, like we were talking about in the last podcast, like, is it, is it ideal? No. Do we all wish it were different? Do we wish it were in a big league NHL arena? Yes, of course. But once you just look at it and say, okay, well, this is just the reality that you're dealing with. I thought it was kind of cool. Like I dug it. I, again, I don't know what, how I'm going to feel after 30 games or I don't know how I'm going to feel after a year. I don't know. But first game, game one, Coyotes and Winnipeg Jets. I dug it. I really, really did. I just want to say quickly that I'm becoming a real big fan of Christian Fisher. I, I really am. Ever since that game in Toronto where he gave that hilarious interview with Kyle post game. Yeah. But this is clearly a player who's, who's, who's doubled down on luck. Whatever anyone thinks, we have to have pride in who we are. And I have a lot of time for the way this guy's playing for the Coyotes this year and his attitude about things. Very impressive. Do you think there's a chance here that the Arizona Coyotes, who have now been, like, we know how long they've been the butt of every single joke. Like, I feel horrible for those fans after what they've gone through, whether it's, you know, ownership or arena uh, stops and starts, all of it, and now this. To your point about Fisher... Do they have the personalities on that team now coupled with this very intimate non-NHL arena to be the lovable underdogs everywhere they go? 
It's a great question. There's no question that that's what they're hoping for. I'll say this. Not everybody there has been happy with some of the things that I've said or talked about. And I get that. I, I totally get that. I promoted some of Ken Weeb's stories because Ken's down there with the Jets and he wrote a couple stories, like a mm-hmm. preview story and then, a, and then a review of the first night. You can see that a lot of the hardcore NHL fans really don't like this. And I, we did talk about the one governor who called me and said that he thinks it's wrong that, you know, we're putting a fresh coat of paint on this. I think everybody's going to react differently. But again, as I said to you, my biggest thing in life is sometimes you get dealt the royal sampler and you better play with it. <laughs> Make the best of what you've got. Okay, moving off the Coyotes page, but ever so slightly because the Coyotes have their own decisions to make as well. One of the big ones is with Dylan Gunther, whether he uh, whether he stays with the team uh, or whether they or whether they send him back. We talked about this on Hockey Night on Saturday. Whether it's Mason McTavish, who I don't think anyone thinks is going anywhere for the Anaheim Ducks. No. Uh, whether it's Brant Clark, who didn't play on Saturday, but as I'm told, it is, you know, pardon the Los Angeles Kings pun, 99% certain that Brant Clark stays with the uh, the Los Angeles Kings. To Wyatt Johnston, who I believe now, uh, was waiting for the Stars to make it official, will remain up. Well, I hope you believe it because you tweeted it. I tweeted out there, sounds like Wyatt Johnson is staying, sticking my neck out, but that's what uh, what I was led to believe on Sunday, and I am sticking by it. And then Seattle has a decision as well, and let's park a little bit of time here and talk about Shane Wright. Yeah. Now, Shane Wright, I'm sure, would have loved to have played against Sidney Crosby on Saturday night as the Pittsburgh Penguins were in town, a climate pledge. Uh, big win by Seattle, 3-1. to one. Jordan Eberle had a really, really good game. Uh, he was excellent in that one. And Shane Wright. He had a baby game. Oh, right, right, right. Congratulations to the Eberly family. They had a new addition this weekend, and he celebrated with a baby game. He had a he had a big night. The no sleep, adrenaline, excitement baby game. I had one of those in men's league uh, when, when TJ was born. My wife was sick of me hanging around. She said, I know you have a game this afternoon. Just go play. And I had two goals and one assist. I had no sleep. It's just the thing. No matter what level you're at. It was so funny too. McCormick Arena. There I am. Two goals and assists. Anyway, let's park some time here on Shane Wright. Like, I don't know that anybody involved in this story is anything but frustrated at what's happening now. I don't think the general manager could be happy. I don't think the coach uh, is happy. I don't. I certainly don't think the player is happy. I don't think his camp would be happy. I don't know anybody in this situation who could be happy at what's happening right now with the first round, fourth overall pick, Shane Wright in Seattle. Your thoughts? This can't continue. That's my number one thought. Here are two things I think are red herrings, and I understand why people get emotional about them or their talking points, but I, they're not relevant to the case here. Number one is the fact that he can't go to the American Hockey League. Yes, I know it's frustrating. Uh, I I know everybody sits there and says he should be able to go to the American Hockey League. I agree with that on its face. But there is a deal between the NHL and the CHL. And the NHL knows the CHL is still its number one creator of talent. And it needs it. So no matter how you feel about that issue, it's not Mm -hmm. changing for Shane Wright. Number two... 
you know, there are people who are upset because Shane Wright's grandparents went out there for a week and, and didn't get to see him play. Yeah. And while I agree that it would be really nice if Wright's family could see him out there, that's not the reason that Seattle should or should not have played him. Uh, you know, for example, one of the reasons Kyle Turris's relationship fell apart with the Arizona Coyotes was he got scratched at home in Vancouver when he was promised to play. And that was one that I think the Coyotes would take back years ago if they could. You know, I understand why people get very emotional about that, but it should not be a determining factor in whether or not he plays. What's a determining factor is what's best for the player and what's best for the team. And this is not it. And Seattle's got to win this year. Yep. After what happened last year, I know it sounds crazy to say this for year two of a franchise that they've got to win. They got to be better. They got to be improved. You know, Dave Haxtell, he needs wobble use. So if he doesn't feel that Shane Wright can give him enough time right now, then one of two things has to happen. Number one, Ron Francis has got to make it clear to Haxtell and everybody else that Shane Wright is going in the lineup and Haxtell's not going to be penalized for following a team mandate, okay? Because mm-hmm. some coaches don't like that, but sometimes it has to happen. The second thing that m- might have to happen here, Jeff, and this is more into where you can fill us in is, look, they have to work out a trade in the OHL yep. that puts Shane Wright on a powerhouse team right now so he can get down there. If that is the answer, if that is the answer, then I think it's incumbent on the Kraken, the Kingston Frontenacs, the OHL, the other teams in the league to say, look, we can bring back this star player right now who's going to give us the kind of attendance and oomph that we need, yeah. but we've got to put them into a good team. Like, am I nuts for suggesting that? No, you're not. And here's why it makes sense from Kingston's point of view as well. Like, if a thought is, oh, we don't want to send him back because he'll just, you know, stay in, in Kingston to help the front neck sell tickets, we want him on a powerhouse team that might end up playing in the Memorial Cup uh, this year. There are teams, as I just mentioned, the Wyatt Johnson now. Uh, staying with the Dallas Stars. So the Windsor Spitfires are down an elite center. Could Shane Wright fit there? I would believe that the Peterborough Peets, Elliot, who are once again a powerhouse in the in the OHL, uh, that they would be interested. I think that there's a number of teams where you could send him. And the other reason is, you know, as I mentioned on Saturday, there are three teams that have formalized an expression of intent to bid for the Memorial Cup next season, it goes to the OHL. They are the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, the Niagara Ice Dogs, and the Kingston Frontenacs. Now, the best chance probably that Kingston has in having a team that is suitable for hosting a Memorial Cup would be for Shane Wright to come back and then get traded almost immediately for a huge package of players and picks that would be used for next season's squad to help them put together, you know, what becomes a team that's worthy of of hosting a Memorial Cup. So the whole thing does line up in a certain way, and there are no shortage of teams 
that would put together em- enormous packages to get Shane Wright in the OHL. Absolutely, Elliot. So, Jeff, get it done. You have big connections in junior <laughs> hockey. What are you doing wasting your time on this podcast? Well, Go the, get it done. The first thing that has to happen is the Seattle Kraken have to say, okay, he's going back to junior hockey. Now, listen, one of the things that could happen here as well is Shane Wright could stay with the Kraken, play here and there. I know ah. the ice time is... Hang on, hang on. I'm just I'm just saying, like, it, this is a possibility that we need to keep in our mind. I know it's not the best possibility, considering he's only playing six or seven minutes a night, which is not ideal for this player whatsoever. Why did he fall to fourth in the draft? Why did he fall to fourth in the draft? This is my opinion. Why did he fall to fourth in the draft? Why do you think he fell to fourth in the draft? Because he didn't play. Oh, the season before, yeah. Yes, because he didn't play. Mm -hmm. When he was in those interviews, what were teams grilling him about? Why didn't you go overseas? Why didn't you play? Yeah. So this isn't helping anyone, especially not him. The point that I was getting at before I was so, once again, rudely interrupted, (laughs) is you could keep him there. He plays the games that he plays, and then you send him to the World Junior Hockey Championships in Halifax, where you would imagine he would play a ton, and then your decision gets made afterwards. But when's the first game? December 26th. It's not for a while. Yeah, that to me is not a solution. Listen, I'm saying it's not ideal. I understand that. I get that. It is not ideal. All I'm saying is this is a possible route that this might be headed. That's all. I just want to make sure that it's out there on the podcast. But I think that Kingston probably would be watching every single move that Seattle is making with Shane Wright right now. And I would have to think that they're making phone calls to these various teams saying, if he comes back, Mm -hmm. what are you prepared to offer? Because I don't think the Kingston is going to be like, oh, wow, we got Shane Wright. Now let's let's roll up our sleeves, crack our knuckles and try to figure out a trade. I would imagine those conversations are already happening. I would hope so. Because what I want is actually best for the kid, right? He's been through a lot. We saw how much this weighed on him. This can't be easy on him right now. We we have to put him in a a good place mentally, I think. Mm -hmm. Initially, I wouldn't have said that going back to the OHL was the right thing for him, but it's better than this. So if he goes to a good team and he dominates... I like it a lot. And and this is a year too. You know, Slokowski scored again. Power play. But we don't know how much he's gonna stay in the NHL. The number three pick, Cooley, he's in he's in the Minnesota. NCAA. Yeah. So I mean, you know, this this is a year where you can say, hey, like nobody at the top of the draft, there's no shame in going to the American Hockey League or the NCAA or or the Ontario Hockey League. There's no shame here. And That's what I would be doing if I was Seattle. If my coach isn't going to play him and I'm not going to order my coach to play him, I'm getting in touch with Kingston and the OHL and I'm saying, where's my guy going and get it done soon. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, I should mention, Jeff, Martin Jones, also a baby game. I mentioned Eberle. I forgot Jones. That's right. uh, So it was a big baby night for the Kraken. 32 saves for Martin Jones on Saturday against Pittsburgh. What they need for more victories, they need more pregnancy. That's what they need. (laughs) What exactly are you advocating here, sir? (laughs) If I may use a hockey metaphor, high sticking, what? Um, Oh, boy. Vancouver Canucks, uh, you reported on Saturday about Jim Rutherford essentially reading the riot act to the team. Yeah, so we kind of wondered about the the fight night in Seattle the other night on Thursday and maybe that their manhood had been challenged. And 
I think that was true. Uh, one of the things I, I found out leading up to our show on Saturday night was that, you know, there'd been a lot of talk about Bruce Boudreaux's future and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he won his 600th game the other night. And I think that's an incredible accomplishment considering how long it took him to get his break. That's resiliency for you. Yeah. But I think that they made it very clear that if, that, that if those players were waiting for the coach to change, it wasn't only going to be them. And Jeff, one of the things that, that we wondered was, you know, they, they had Travis Green. It didn't work. They've, they had Bruce Boudreaux. It doesn't look like it's working. Do you just go to another person and hope the same mix works? And, and the Canucks kind of answered that question. Like, I, I think they told players directly. I think they told some agents that uh, if changes were coming, they were also going to involve the roster. And I couldn't confirm it, but I, I heard on one case, apparently, like they didn't say just trades, like they'd put guys on waivers. And I couldn't confirm wow. who it was or what exactly was said, but it got back to me that that had been, if not directly told, really clearly hinted. And they were mad. Mm. They were really mad. And clearly that message was received. One more thing here uh, before we get to some emails. The Edmonton Oilers now, and again, it's still a brand new season. The Edmonton Oilers have been involved in two of the best games we've seen so far this season. Last week against the St. Louis Blues, that was an excellent game. And then Saturday against the Calgary Flames in another edition of the Battle of Alberta. Connor McDavid with three points. Uh, Zach Hyman, excellent in that game. Leon Dreisaitl, wash, rinse, repeat. 3-2 is the final score, and Jacob Markstrom had two outstanding periods yeah. against the Oilers, and I felt awful for him in the third. Yeah, that that one goal was was an ugly one. Oh, that was tough. And they had to give him that start. I really think Daryl Sutter had to give him that start. He's not your number one goalie if you're not giving him one of the two Edmonton games at the, at the start of the year. You know, I, I was joking that if there had been vandalism – at the Sutter barn, then Markstrom would have been the number one suspect if he wasn't given that game on Saturday night. You have to let him play. And that's what I said to Kelly post game. How do you feel about Markstrom after that game? Two great periods, but then the loss in the third. And then Ron, like first, I agree with you. I thought it was a great game, like just awesome a great, game. great yep. hockey game. And, you know, Ron is saying at the end of the game, who's the better team? And, I think we all feel that top to bottom, Calgary is the better team, but Edmonton has McDavid and Dreisaitl, and that's where it changes. Mm-hmm. You just have these two nuclear weapons that, you know, Markstrom made one mistake and McDavid burned him. Again, I don't know how many times we say this, but I can't believe they're only playing one more time this year. <laughs> I know it sucks. It totally sucks. It was a great game. It was a great game. I want to see that once every two weeks. I don't want to see that three times a year. I want to see that every two weeks. The other thing, too, I'm doing, honestly, Jeff, is whenever that next game is, I'm setting it up so Markstrom plays them again. Oh, if you're Daryl Sutter, you are. Yes. Yeah, 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 100%. Because if you get them in a playoff series, Markstrom's going to play. It's true. Hey, um, I lied. I said uh, one more thing before we get to emails because there's two more things that I want to mention. One, I do want to mention the New York Islanders have now won three games in a row. Against good teams. Three tough games in a row. So there was the, this week, I looked at it. I was like, oh, geez, this is going to be tough for the Islanders. It was Rangers, boom, including a shutout. Then the Carolina Hurricanes and then the Colorado Avalanche. 
And going into the stretch, you know, the Islanders had zero goals from their centers. Mm -hmm. Now, Brock Nelson has three. Matthew Barzell is doing the reverse Cy Young with 10 assists in nine games. Maybe just a quick thought on where the Islanders are at right now. It's just a reminder that early in the season, the swings are so wild, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Islanders a couple of weeks ago, everybody's talking about how they're in big trouble. They're in last place in the East or close to it. This is a nightmare of a year. And one week they beat three good teams and everybody's ecstatic again. I mean, I couldn't believe that watching that game against Colorado when it was three, nothing. I thought that game was going to end 10, nothing. And they, mm. they, they came back and they won it really nice ceremony for Josh Bailey too. Oh yeah. I have to tell you, like someone said to me, they saw two Islanders people at a Vancouver game and, and they were thinking what could be going on here. And you know, it's so hard to tell. It's so hard to tell with, with Lamorello. Like, you just have no idea what he's up to. But at least now they can breathe a little bit. It was such a good week for him. I think the team in the East that people are wondering about is Columbus. They got absolutely smoked by the Devils on Sunday. What the shots were, what, 14 to 1 at one point? Uh, they had a closed door meeting after the game. I'd heard some rumors that, you know, maybe they were looking for some centers, a center or two right now to get them through. But someone poo-pooed that to me, said, don't, you know, go too overboard with that. I think like any team, if Columbus could improve, they would. But don't expect like necessarily anything panic-wise for them. Uh, just, you know, someone to get them through now. I mean, we'll see what they do, but... Every week, there's one situation you're kind of looking at, and I think you know. I, I think Columbus would say they're disappointed with how they've started this year. That game was seven to one. That uh, New Jersey Columbus game. Guess who your favorite coach is in the NHL right now? Guess who my favorite coach is? Yes, in the NHL right now. Well, if how can you tell me who my favorite coach mm -hmm. is? Let's say, hey, Jeff, guess what your favorite ice cream is? Uncle. Per <laughs> Amanda Stein's Twitter feed, and Amanda yeah. does a great job covering the Devils, Lindy Ruff on Nico Hischer. Oh, okay. He's really taken the leadership to a whole new level. He's the guy everyone is looking to. Preach on, Lindy Ruff. Those who know, know. I can hear your heart pounding <laughs> like a hero in a Disney movie. Where's my framed picture of Nico Heischer? Where's my framed picture I can put up in my in my office now? And you're, so you can bat your eyes at Ah, oh, Nico, he's so dreamy. <laughs> he just needs a selkie beside him to make him dreamier. This, this is an embarrassing podcast. This is awesome. Go Nico Heischer. He's really good, man. I mean, they look really good. You know, the one thing is their schedule is really easy to start the year. But you got to beat the teams on it's your okay. schedule. And they're not, not just beating them. The ice is tilted in a lot of their games. Really is. Speaking of tilted ice, by the way, when we called the Sabres goalies unsustainable, they went out against Chicago yeah. and they had a 59% uh, expected goal. So maybe we, I wonder if Granado uh, played the podcast or something so they knew what we were saying about them. So what's our cut then for each? <laughs> You know what they say in our industry, Elliot, there's no I in team, but there's two I's in invoice. Just <laughs> tell us where we send it. Just tell us where we send it. And just one thing before we go to the emails, Jeff, just something I was I was looking out for. You know, Winnipeg has a lot of D. Right. And I think there's been some talk about, do they clear up the log jam? Do they, do they make some moves to 
sort of free it up a bit. And, um, you know, I, I basically just think they've told, because I think teams have called them. Teams that are short on D, I think, have called Winnipeg and said, what are you doing? I think what they've told people is they're not going to do anything just for the sake of doing it. Like, they understand that I think there's interest and maybe some guys would like to play more, but they are determined to do what they think is best for themselves. Be right back with some of your emails. All right, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs Every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, so before we get to the emails, Elliot, I do want to spend a little bit of time here shouting out and recognizing and respecting and saying thank you to all of our Aussie listeners. Man, they showed up big time this week, Elliot. First of all, I think if we all kind of wondered, does this make any sense to go there? And and I'll be honest with you, Jeff, I think internally there's a big debate in the, I actually, I shouldn't say, I don't know if it's big, but at least there is a debate about whether or not this makes sense. The amount of people from Australia who reached out to us about it, there's something there. There clearly is something there. And I want to let those fans know that they are seen and heard. That if I want to be a true Australian, I have to pronounce it Milburn instead of Melbourne. Well, you know what this means, Elliot? We need to do a podcast site survey in Melbourne. Not saying we're going... But I think we need to do a podcast site survey. Amal, would you agree as well that there's enough there's enough smoke there? We should at least do a site survey to see if we could do a podcast there. Maybe spend two weeks in Australia, perhaps. I was going to say France, Germany. Why not New Zealand, Australia, right? <laughs> yeah, put it this way. If, if the NHL goes there next year, make sure there's room on the budget, Amal. 100%. If you have to dock Jeff some pay, it's okay. Just make sure there's room on the budget. Amal, just take back your empties and we're there. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Email time. Elliot, 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca is the email address to use. Let's open up with a fun one. Uh, Chris from Chandler, Arizona went to Coyotes opening game. It was awesome, except for the loss. It felt like going to Purdue basketball games again with a full crowd and loud arena. Plus, it was great getting home in 15 minutes instead of 60. Elliot, I'm guessing there was a whole lot of that sentiment going back to Friday. Yes. Uh, my question, in honor of Mullet Arena, give me your all-mullet team, at least after Yager. No, that's true. That's like when you're doing hockey pools in the 80s. Gretzky doesn't count. You take Gretzky out, or you don't get a second-round pick. That's if what you we take did. Gretzky. No second-rounder if you don't get Gretzky. So out of the mullet pool then for this one, uh, you're all-mullet players, and Chris submits, good job, Amel, and Elliot's, Passable job, Jeff. Well, I really don't oh, like that. No, I'm not the anti-Berkey. Don't like that one, Chris from Chandler. If that is indeed your real name, anyway. <laughs> all mullet team, Elliot. Who comes to mind for you? I got a couple in my back pocket. Ziggy Palfy. Oh, oh, that's a great one. Oh, Elliot, right out of the gate. <laughs> that one's awesome. Oh, wow, good one. That might be number one. He had a great after one. Yager. That's a gr- wow. Yes, that is a great one. 
<laughs> oh. The other one, the other one I would say, well, Barry Melrose behind the bench. Yes, totally. I hadn't considered coaches, but yes, Barry Melrose. The other two I would put in, so you got Barry Melrose behind the bench, you've got yeah. Ziggy Palfi, and the other two I would include are Mike Ricci and Michael Hanzus. There is one. First of all, Hanzus was glorious because, well, both him and Ricci, they both had really long hair. Like we've seen, I mean, Patrick Kane kind of grew a little short mullet, but Hanzus's was a, a crown of glory. Uh, and so was Mike Ricci. The other one that I would throw in there is actually Barry Melrose's cousin. Oh, Wendell Clark? Wendell Clark. I always forgot about his. That's a, that's a great call. I, I forgot about his. It was a family affair with those two, the, the cousins with the two great mullets. I always thought that was awesome. One behind the bench in LA and the other chasing Gretzky around in 1993. That's a great question, Chris from Chandler. Listen, great job with Paul Fee right out of the gate, Fridge. I don't like to give you compliments very often, but... <laughs> That was freaking awesome. His mullet was tremendous. Uh, just tremendous. Okay. Alex from Surrey, BC. I'm still blown away by Paul Fee. Oh, good for you. Uh, I could read the CBA myself to get the answer, but I'd rather ask someone familiar with bizarre hockey trivia, i.e. Jeff. This is more of a lead singer question, though. This one may go to Elliot. In recent years, we've often seen teams have to trade away players to get salary cap relief. True. Players they would have otherwise likely preferred to keep, see Flurry for future considerations or uh, McDonough for Myers. Is a team allowed to trade a player for a player's cap hit but retain the player? Take the Patrick Marlowe trade, for example. Could Toronto have traded the first round pick plus 50% of Marlowe's cap hit to Carolina and have kept him? Yes, Elliot, it is the trading cap cash question. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. I remember asking Bill Daly, like when they were, this is right after the year long lockout. And it's one of the first questions that I had the first time I talked to Daly and it was shot down right away. I don't think it's really been brought up or looked at in any significant way ever since. It's an interesting idea because the concept is, well, the cap is the cap and escrow is escrow and all the money gets accounted for. Why can't you treat a cap hit like cash? and trade it but yes no to elliot's point you cannot do that i'm glad to see that the deputy commissioner shuts down your bad ideas as quickly as i do everybody shuts down my bad ideas okay ryan from long island on friday's show jeff discussed the need to have nicknames for goalie pairs and referred to the Comrie anderson duo in buffalo as the unsustainables we've referred to that already uh jeff also mentioned we don't have many or any nicknames for goaltending duos just to let you know on Long Island, we've been referring to our tandem of Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov as the Broviate Union for some oh, time now. Oh, I like now. that. That's great. Awesome nickname. As usual, great job, Jeff. Great job, Amel. Thank you. Please have Berkey on the pod soon. Oh, yeah, we should do the that. The Broviate Union. Send it along, man. Even if they're not established nicknames, send us nicknames for your goaltending tandem. That could be some fertile ground. That's a great nickname. Excellent. Okay. Last one, Brett, Flames fan in Vancouver. I love the podcasts and will refrain from making the joke about appreciating Jeff and Amel, but not Elliot. <laughs> I don't like that. Here's why, Elliot, you're phenomenal at what you do and make being a fan of the sport more enjoyable. Is this Brett Friedman? Do you have a cousin named Brett or someone in your family named Brett, Elliot? No, I don't. Anyhow, uh, I'll get to my question now. Thank you, Brett. <laughs> uh, I'm a Flames fan watching Pittsburgh and Edmonton on Monday Night Hockey. Great program and panel, by the way. Uh, with the Pens visiting the Saddle Dome tomorrow. I'm curious how many Calgary Flames would be watching the game 
themselves. Of course, the coaching staff and players have reviewed film, but in general, how many players do you think would tune into a game featuring a club they're playing the following night? I'd love to hear any insight you have on the percentage of NHLers who watch games on their days slash nights off during the regular season and or any stories about the hockey nerds in the league watching games. One name comes to mind right away for me, Elliot, Mm -hmm. and that is Mark Shifley, hockey nerd. I think the elite players do. Yeah, I I do. I, I I think there's probably some who don't, but to me, the elite players are always watching. It's, it's the same thing as life. If you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. That's number one. And number two, I just think that all of the great players are true hockey nerds and always looking to see what's happening in the league or looking to see what someone's doing, looking to see if someone's picked up a new piece of equipment, what they're doing with it. I just think the best are always fine-tuning. One of Kelly Rudy, my favorite stories from Kelly Rudy is about Wayne Gretzky when he would just say like, to the players, who's first in the Smythe division? I know that's really ancient now, but he, you know, he <laughs> would... Great. He he would ask those questions. He, who are the next? Who are our next yes. five games against? Yes. Who's the top scoring yes. winger in the league? I just really believe that if you are determined to be the best, you're paying attention to that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree 100 percent with that. Okay, so as we wrap up this pod, yeah. almost got the Halloween music all the way through it. Jeff, are you are you dressing up for Halloween this year? I'm not dressing up, but I'm chaperoning the kids. Brody is going as a banana, and TJ <laughs> is going as an avocado. What? Originally, he wanted. To, it's weird. He wanted to go as a penguin. We couldn't cobble something together, but he was at the ball with his mom and found an avocado outfit. It's like that's it. I'm going as an avocado. Brody wants to go out as a banana because a couple of his teammates on his uh, Waxers team uh, have this thing about bananas. They used to draw bananas on their hockey sticks. Um, they love the song Banana Phone. One of them uses it oh, as yeah, his walk. Rafi. As, yeah, Rafi. Uses Banana Phone as his walk-up song for baseball, which the parents just love, and it's become sort of a theme for the team in a lot of ways. So there's a couple of kids going as bananas. So we got bananas and avocados, and I'm still not sure what our daughter Joe's going to go as, but uh, we'll find out on Halloween. This vegetarianism or veganism that you do is <laughs> is bordering on child abuse. I have no, to Joe's going to go. As, Joe's going to go as a pork chop. Who's kidding? Who? That, that's better. <laughs> At least there's something there. Max is going as an evil clown. Nice. Oh, I love it. The costume's on my screensaver on my phone, and it, it is hilarious. I am dressing. I'm going as Oddlaw, which, oh, if you're not wow. familiar with, is the evil Waldo from the Where's Waldo books. So you got the Bumblebee sweater? You're all yes, set to rock? Yeah, I was supposed to wear this costume, I think, a year or two ago, and I, I couldn't do it because of COVID. So uh, I'm thinner than I was two years ago, so I should fit into it. Alma, what are you doing? I'm going full-on cowboy, boots and all, hat. I got the full outfit rocking, and uh, Noah's going as Danny Zuko. Danny from Greece? Yes, man. Oh, wow. Is the missus going as Sandy? She is. Oh, that's outstanding. You guys are not. Really? A tribute to the now late Olivia Newton-John. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Good for you guys. Now, you're going as a cowboy. This is going to be a chilly evening in southwestern Ontario, Amel. Will you have a flask with you as you go door to door with Noah? 100%. 
Taking us out is an Austin-based singer and guitarist that's been at it since 2007. Black Joe Lewis blends vintage blues, soul, and R&B with vocals that demand your attention. This is really good stuff. From 2013's record Electric Slave, here's Black Joe Lewis with Vampire. Happy Halloween. From your buddies at 32 Thoughts, the podcast.